We got to spend a lot of time with our Bobby Ruff. I mean, that's a major reason why we're doing episode <laughs> three of a series that we will be sprinkling in. Yeah, it's really, but I mean, Bob the show's Ruff really is good, but this episode is great. Bob looks great on camera. Girl, we are here for you. I know. Bob, we love you so much. Hi, Jillian Benzavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. Fam, come to Obsess Fest. Bob Ruff, star of today's episode, yes. is going to be there. He's probably going to do his comedy well, show again. Star at yeah, eight, yeah. also. Let's <laughs> not forget. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. He'll be doing his comedy special. I think we're trying to get a panel together of this episode <gasps> because Ed, the guy that it's about, lives in Dallas. Yes. So Bob's working on putting that all together. Oh, my God. Amazing. But in addition to Bobby Ruff, we got Robbie Achaudry <laughs> coming back. We got Damian Eccles and Lori Davis That's coming right. back. We're going to do the Taylor Swift sing along. As you all know, fam, it's a full weekend of meetups and meet and greets and drag brunches and drag bingo and panels and making new friends. It's a lot. It's yeah. going to be great. It's going to be great. October 20th to the 22nd in Dallas. Go to ObsessFest.com to get your tickets. Wonderful. What else? Well, we're doing some stuff on Patreon if you're interested. Yes. We did a House of Hammer. We're doing Killer Sally. Next up is Pepsi Wears My Jet. It's a whole <laughs> hell of a party over there. <laughs> What's the deal with Pepsi Wears My Jet? D- that kid deserves a jet. Pepsi what, it was all about getting points or whatever? It was like the Pepsi challenge. It was just a lot. We're like in the 90s. We're with like Cindy Crawford and the Spice Girls a lot and all the Pepsi <laughs> yeah. commercials. And the there you song go. And there the, you go. Yeah. We also have a ton of video content from Obsessed Fest, our live shows. Everything's there. Patreon.com slash True Crime Obsessed. Join us if you like. Okay. That's fine. It's a party. I'm just saying. Everyone's invited. It's a real party time. Girl, what are we talking about today? So we're talking about a show that is on Hulu. It's called Web of Death. The description, M. Following the investigations of online sleuths as they use digital footprints and all this stuff to solve crimes. I have to say. Yeah. It is the worst name for a show since True Crime Obsessed. <laughs> It we makes a, no look, sense. The name True Crime Obsessed has really grown on me. When we decided to name the show that, we are like, we are obsessed with true crime. We didn't really know what we were doing. Yeah. And it doesn't tell you anything about who, who we are or like what the show but is. But Web of Death, when it's about like internet sleuths and people like Bob Ruff who are like making moves and getting people out of prison. <laughs> Web of Death? Come on. Searching for the game that you're looking for is actually very similar to the work I do as an investigator. The most important skill involved in any of those things is patience. A woman in her late 40s, naked, face down, whose throat had been slit. This is a very, very violent crime scene. Innocent people don't lie. I just know in my gut there's more to this case. I think that they may have gotten the wrong person. Probably one of the worst days of my life. There's a truth out there that we know exists. Right, well, we open with Bob talking about the. We get a lot of comparisons to hunting and web sleuthing. Well, Bob okay. is a hunter. So the episode is called Crowdsource Justice. Yes. And it's basically about Bob Ruff and like how his listeners got Eddie out of prison. But he's immediately comparing investigating injustice to hunting deer in a snowy forest, talking about patience. Bob's holding a gun. Well, the whole thing is says Bobby's talking about what you need to be a web sleuth or a hunter right. is patience. And uh-huh. I was like, I would not be good at either of those things. You'd be bad at the hunting. There's a reason I've not solved a murder on Facebook. Right. I wouldn't be good at the waiting part. No, 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 no. And I feel like if Bob were here, yes. he'd say, well, you know, the producers asked me, so I know, Bob. I, we know. <laughs> Bob said that he was coming to Obsess Fest last year. It was the first time in his life he was missing the first day of deer hunting season. Yeah. I was like, do a fan festival, save a deer. Yeah. That was my that was my hashtag for the weekend. Well, I have a note about this later. Maybe I'll bring it up now. I know that hunting deer, they have no natural predators. Sometimes too many deer okay. negatively affect the ecosystem. All right. It's not like killing 
killing an elephant for a trophy. Correct. You know, and Correct. I understand that. Great. Don't come for, I know that sometimes <laughs> hunting is a thing that needs to be done to yeah. protect the ecosystem, which is really what I'm all about anyway. Well, here we are. Here we are. Jillian's a hunter now. I'm, Show me your guns, girl. No. <laughs> you can have yours, though. Just responsibly. No one's trying exactly. to take them from you nope. unless they're a fucking assault rifle. God. So we learned that Bob lives in a small rural town called Buchanan, Michigan. Yeah. I was like, I had no idea. I felt a little bit like we were being invited over to Bob's for dinner. Yes. You and know? we kind of were. Totally. We do go to dinner a little bit. It's a cute town where everyone knows everyone. And I knew this about Bob. In early 2000, I became a volunteer fireman. Immediately was hooked. I loved it. I loved the fact that I got to go out and help people every day. It was nothing for me to kick the door in, go put the fire out, and then when the fire was over, go in and start investigating the fire. He got to, like, solve the fire. Exactly. Save lives and solve fires. <laughs> and so he is so good at this that he gets promoted to fire chief. Yes. And he says, and I'm like, this is a great line, Bob. He immediately regrets. But he says, now I'm fighting over budgets instead of fighting fires. Right. Excellent line. And I mean he that He said sincerely. that one time in an interview somewhere. He's like, put that, file That's that great. one away. And remember that. Brilliant. Great soundbite. Yeah. But, like, don't put the guy who's excellent at this behind a desk. Exactly. He needs to be out in the field. Exactly. But he says he definitely wasn't feeling fulfilled. We jumped to December 2014. And this is when Bob discovers cereal. Now, listen, I am a cereal early adapter. I know that's like not a hot take, but like cereal came out. I started listening to all the podcasts that were like talking about cereal. Uh -huh. So there was a little podcast called Crime Writers on uh -huh. Cereal. That's right. Which is now Crime Writers on, which I became obsessed with. And Bob doesn't mention the name of the podcast here, but it was called Cereal Dynasty. I don't know why they don't mention the name. Who? Maybe they thought it would be confusing, but I yeah. first discovered Bob when he was doing a podcast called Cereal Dynasty, where he was breaking down every episode of Cereal and trying to convince the world that Don did it. Because what happened was Bob listens to Cereal. He tells his friend Mike about it. Mike's yeah. here. To be like the guy was obsessed with Mike looks great in a t-shirt, by he the looks way. Great. Yeah, but I mean, so does Bob. Don't get me wrong. You love Bob. Bob is smoking. Bob is everybody's boyfriend. I'll Bob say this is, a thousand I, times. We have a picture of Bob. His announcement graphic for Obsessed Fest Year Two is him doing his comedy show wearing a Rainbow Pride. He like, wore wristband. it with the, at the Damien uh at the talk he did with Damien. He's yeah. just like such a love. He's like such He's a great. teddy bear. And let me tell you, his wife Becky, we will get to her yes. in a minute. I've had dinner with her. Oh. She can take down like a rare steak and a <laughs> bourbon. She's a badass. <laughs> She's a badass. <laughs> Hi, Becky. Hi, Becky. But Bob listens to Serial and immediately is like, something's wrong here. Yes. So his whole plan. The hot with, take, Bob. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but look, he does good work. So he, yeah, because yeah, yeah. he's like, the podcast is not telling the whole story again, we know. Exactly. He wants to find out what really happened to Heyman Lee. So in 2015, he makes the Serial Dynasty podcast. And from the very beginning, this podcast was listener driven. So yes. he made it so that other people who were listening or who were interested could email him and they could have a dialogue and like everyone could work together to get to the bottom of it. Because Bob makes the point. It's hard to think back to 2015 when there weren't a million true crime podcasts out there. This was a new thing. No one was more shocked than me when within a few weeks of starting to put these episodes out that I was recording on $100 worth of equipment, I had like 10,000 subscribers. Bob was one of the only ones, and this this kind of like online internet sleuthing was also new-ish. People just wanted to help. People wanted to get involved. Right, and he, it sounds cheesy, but he, I think he'll appreciate it because he's a crier, I'm a crier. His he heart cries. was in the right place. You Bobby know, like, cries all the way through this episode. It's so great. I love him so much. And his much. dad, it's just he's so one of the He's one of those big, strong men that when he cries, everyone has to cry. Oh my God. You know? 
Yeah. Did you and him and Damien all cry at once? Damien didn't, Fest? but we, I, or maybe, I, I think Damien was like, what's in my eye? But uh, Bob and I, I think Bob said, he was like, I knew I was going to cry. And it was yeah, one of yeah, those yeah. things where like, you look at someone who's like important to you and like, you know what, they're a safe space. Yeah. And I think Bob and I looked at each other and we were like, well, it's over now. <laughs> I'll never wear mascara to Obsess Fest again. No, no, no. <laughs> Bob realizes, like, the podcast takes off right away because everyone was talking about cereal. And this is a way it felt like we were all listening together and we were, yes. like, working on it together. Yeah. So he realizes the potential for helping people. He also decides he needs a name. So he names the podcast after his two favorite tattoos. Well, so this is crazy, <laughs> Bob's like, though. let me roll up my sleeves and show you my arms. On my forearms, I have these two tattoos, the Latin words for truth and justice. So decided on truth and justice as the new name of the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host, Bob Ruff, and I want to thank you all for joining He was just, like, looking at his arms like, this will do. <laughs> totally. I love it. And America agreed with you, Bob. Yes. This will do just fine. <laughs> and it's also, like, it's because he calls it, like, the Truth and Justice Army. And it's so wild to be watching this because the day that Adnan was released, Bob did a big, like, Zoom party with all of his listeners. And I went. as yeah. like I was like, oh, he, like, I saw it on Facebook. And I was like, I'll join that. And he was uh-huh. like, oh, hey. So it was, like, so wonderful to be with like-minded people. We were all watching the live feed. And then yeah. we were in the Zoom. And I think... Like Bob went to get a drink and he was like, Jillian, you're the host now. And I was like, I don't, what? But it was really amazing to be with these people. And so many of them like started listening to Serial Dynasty. And then like the day Adnan was released, we were all watching it together. It's this little, wild. It was so crazy. It's also like we see shots of Bob in his studio in this documentary. Yeah. I remember when Bob was having that studio built when he was like, I remember Bob making the transition wow. from work, like being the fire chief to like building a studio in his backyard and becoming a full time podcaster. Yeah. So to like, I can't believe I've like never been to his house. It feels weird like how well we know him. When was the last time you were in Michigan? Though? I know, that's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's the true. next time I'm in Michigan, I don't care how big it is. If it's a 10-hour drive, I'm going to Bob's house. Yeah, Sorry. But it's great to see him in the studio. I right. love it. So now we meet Bruce, who's Bob's dad. So I say They're we meet this poker. older guy, and you can tell right away, he looks like Bob in old man makeup. Yeah. He looks just like Bob. <laughs> They're playing poker with a couple of I men. I love that that's just like how they bond. Hey, Dad, can we uh, meet downstairs for quick round of poker totally seven card stud or whatever yeah. it is oh man Texas Hold'em I w- like I wish I had people to play poker with do you it's I so, bet you I, Bobby could play some poker uh, yeah I used to play in college all the time it oh, was yeah? so fun oh I took all the money from the boys it was the best I was the only girl at the table and I was like I'm and then like I'd go and meet my girlfriends and be like tricks on me ladies <laughs> woohoo stole money from the guys but Bruce the Bob's dad is so proud of Bob everyone we meet just says Bob's great at everything and his dad just echoes that the thing is especially back in 2015 when you tell like your dad and your wife I yeah. want to do podcasting full-time everyone's like really and so bruce his dad is like i wasn't sure if it was the best idea i supported him anyway cut to becky yes bob's wife she's a badass she supports bob leaving his quote fire career to Uh just basically like change courses to then start getting innocent people out of prison yeah and she says she has like steve tipton supportive spouse vibes all over her because she's like i actually i wasn't worried at all I just told him to do it. I don't even want to say this because I'm going to regret it, but he is so smart. And whatever he does, he does it with everything. And even when he fails at something, he doesn't quit. He just like, he keeps going till he finds a way. So I was never worried and it worked out. 
she's like, I was not nervous at all. Yeah. Bob is nervous. Bob is the creator. Is like, I've got a family to support. And right. I have a job. Like, I'm going to leave my job to do this passion project. But Becky's like, here we are. Like, it all worked out just fine, just like I knew it would. Right. Becky was like, if I didn't think it was going to work out, I would have said no and he would have listened. And that, <laughs> you know 100%. I mean? <laughs> a 100%. Also, they have dogs and we don't get any lower thirds. We get like a zoom in on the dog and we don't get their names. So I was texting Bob this morning. What are the dog's names? Okay. From Bob himself. <laughs> Because when I think we were talking about them when I was on True Crime Binge, but I was like, tell me the dog's names exactly so I get yeah. them right. Like, this yeah. is the kind of research I do for this podcast. Of course. From Bob himself, and I quote, my German short hair pointer is Mac. He got the most screen time. <laughs> German Shepherd number one was on screen briefly. That's Titus. <laughs> Poor Ruger didn't make the oh, cut. No. He's my 10-year-old 120-pound German Shepherd. To which I say, justice for Ruger. <laughs> Hulu, what the fuck are you Hashtag doing? justice for Ruger. Two German Shepherds and a German short hair pointer, please. <laughs> So that's directly from Bob. Anyway. As of January 1st, 2016, I was no longer a fireman. I was a full-time podcaster. And suddenly there was like this new life breathed into me. It was like I was reignited. Right now, he's a full-time podcaster. He's reinvigorated. He's so excited to be doing, like, saving lives in a different medium. Let me just, can I, I wanted to chime in here and say, like, I wrote about this in my book. I remember the moment Steve was like, you're a full-time podcaster now. Oh, oh my God. Oh, no, oh. I'm going to get the I'm gonna get the cries talking about it. Yeah. Because it was a big, it was a huge fucking leap of faith for us, too. And when Bob was talking about that moment of like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm here. I know. I was in a job I didn't love. I didn't feel passionate. Now I, I woke up this morning. It's like day one of my new life and my uh -huh. new job. And I feel, I remember having that exact same moment. I know. Your spouse or your person giving that to you is like, because you're all taking a chance here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the pressure's on, but like, you know you got this and it it is, I, yeah. I will remember that moment for the rest of my life. I know. I agree. And it still took me, even after that, to say it out loud to other people yeah. was still really hard Yeah. Well, say. because back when that when we were doing this like seven years ago, you still had to explain what a podcast was. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, Bob gets an email about a guy named Ken Snow. It's weird because we learned that Ken was wrongfully convicted, but we never get his story. No, not yet. <laughs> not yet. So Ken tells Bob in 1998, a prosecutor convinced Ken to lie and give false testimony in order to strike a deal. And Ken says, there's an innocent man in prison for murder because of me and what I said. Yes. So let's go back to July 23rd, 1993. We're in Tyler, Texas. Yes. And we learn about the murder of a woman named Elnora Griffin. Yeah. She was in her late 40s. She just moved to Tyler from Dallas. She lived in a trailer house next to a person named Johnny. Yeah, she was the landlord. Elnora had just moved to town. She's living alone. She worked at the local hospital. And we learned that she just didn't show up for work one day on Friday, July 23rd. And this person, Johnny, is her landlord, but also her coworker. Johnny calls Elnora a couple times and then just goes over to the house and, like, lets herself in. Because she's a landlord, so she has yeah. a key. We hear that, like, when Johnny went inside the house, what she found was, quote, total chaos. The mattress is off the bed frame. A lamp has been knocked over. There are clumps of feces on the floor. There in the middle of it all is their friend, Elnora, Face down, naked, with her throat slit. Johnny walks in. It's a double-wide trailer. She can see everything from the door. Like, the mattress in the bedroom is off the bed frame. A lamp's been knocked over. There are three, quote, clumps of feces on the floor. Right. Human feces. We never know why. Yeah. So they find Elnora. She's face down. She's naked. And yes. her throat has been slit. Now, here's a note. Elnora is about 4'4", four, four, like 4 foot 4 inches. She's very, very small. And barely 100 pounds, they say. Yeah. So that ends up being important. The investigators arrive. 
drive and one of them says it's the worst crime scene they've ever seen. Yeah, it's really it's bad. It's that bad. It's really bad. Which to them is like, okay, this is personal. Yes, right? yes. So the cops think she was killed the night before she was found between like 9.30 and 10.30 p.m. Yeah. And they start canvassing the neighborhood and like nobody knows anything. I mean, this is a very violent murder. In a double wide trailer, you would think that like sound would have escaped. Especially if the landlord lives so close to her. Yep. Like they're almost on the same property, it seems. But nobody heard anything. Nobody knows anything. So they go to talk to Leonard Earl Mosley, who was, it's a little confusing because he's described as, quote, one of her very serious boyfriends at the time. So yeah. like, of course they look to him, right? Right. So he says, Leonard Mosley says. To the police. Yeah. I had called her and told Elnora that I was going to be going over to her house that night after I got off of work. But, he continued, I didn't. I was tired. I didn't want to. Leonard offered the statement of, um, of Angela, who was his living girlfriend at the time and the mother of his child. And Angela had said that Leonard was home with her that night. And his current girlfriend right. confirms this and she's his alibi. But they're not making it clear, like, is he two-timing Elnora? <laughs> or right. what was it, like, was there... Were An they open not relationship here. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that was confusing to me. Because but, for them to say one of her very serious boyfriends, and I'm like, who else is she dating? Because we should look at them too. Uh -huh. Because that's important information to know. And also that like Leonard's live-in girlfriend, Angela Walker, like corroborates his alibi and also doesn't seem mad. Right. And then so they're like, all right, good enough for me. They <laughs> drop Leonard as a suspect and they move the hell on. Yeah. So then the cops speak with this woman, Cubia Jackson. Yeah. And Cubia's got a weird story. She says... She was on the phone with Elnora the night before the murder. So, like, around the time the cops think that Elnora was murdered. Right. And Cubia gives the name Edward Eights. And her story is that she's talking to Elnora, and Elnora is like, oh, I'm just sitting here hanging out with my friend Edward Eights. Right. Right about the time that she was murdered. So, obviously, the cops are now looking at this Edward Eights guy. So, here's the deal with Ed Eights. Yeah. He grew up in the Tyler, Texas area. He went to the University of Oklahoma on a basketball scholarship. He's, like, 6'7". He's very, very, very tall. And gorgeous. Yeah. Like, we we see pictures of him throughout, and she, everyone talks about how like gorgeous he is, and he really is gorgeous. Yeah, we'll get back to just that when we meet I, his wife. Just for, I just I thought I had to mention it. Yeah, well, his wife talks about it a little bit. <laughs> Kim, I'll we'll get into him. it. <laughs> so he's at the University of Oklahoma on a basketball scholarship. He gets in a little bit of trouble. He spent some time behind bars, yes. like you know, petty crimes like stealing or like buying stolen things. Yeah, and he eventually went back home to Texas, and he moved in with his grandmother, who kind of raised him. So because he was so tall, they basically like connect him. <laughs> being very tall to him being good at yard work. He made his living basically as a handyman. Um, he would mow yards. He would knock down wasps' nests. He would do whatever it took for people who needed a big, tall local guy to do their yard work for them. One of his main jobs was going around town knocking down wasps' nests. Yeah. Which, by the way, saying wasps' nests it's ridiculous. is a... <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like judicial system. <laughs> That's a Murrow juror. Uh, yeah. Wasp's nest. Wasp's nest. And like everybody who says it in this documentary, they're trying to be very serious and they say it full. It's like Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity. You got to say the whole thing. Right, right, right. They say wasp's, wasp's nests. Nest. Every, and the you nest of say, a wasp. <laughs> <laughs> and, but also, there are so many wasps' nests in this town that you it do requires... this every time you say it. You punctuate it. Because <laughs> it nests. sounds like such a gay thing to say. Yeah, wasps. Yeah, nests. let's get the jazz hands in. Why not? Wait a minute. We're gonna do gay bar in Tyler, Texas, called the Wasps' Nest. Oh, the Wasps' Nest. <laughs> Singular. Imagine saying that hammered. I'm going to the Wasps' Nest. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work for anybody. It's got to be singular nest. One nest. <laughs> 
<laughs> Can I get hammered you? Can we get a slow zoom on you saying wasp nest hammered? Wasp's nests. <laughs> Isn't there a drink, like a cocktail called like the stinger? Every yeah, yeah, every yeah, drink yeah. has to be some kind of stinger or oh, like God. honey. <laughs> they don't just, like honey. I'm trying to imagine drunk us. Oh, or like let's just go to our place that <laughs> we own. Wasp we'll, it'll, it'll have 1,500 nicknames. Totally. The point is, there's so many wasps' nests in this town that one of the things he does for a job is it's like knocks them down. Yeah, but eventually, like someone just says, like you know, sometimes people just need a really tall guy to help out in the yard. <laughs> That's I don't know why they're connecting how tall he is to the fact that he would help out in people's yards. Like what? I'm not six seven. I can I can break a leaf. I should know better than to take a gulp of my liquid IV infused water when we're talking about the part about the tall guy. The tall guy doing the yard work. Can't you break a leaf? I could break a leaf if I needed to. Yeah, it is wild that, like, because he was tall. <laughs> like, I don't know why. We're really harping on this. But they somehow made a connection. It's like, he was tall, so clearly. <laughs> oh, he was the handyman. Yard. I bet like, that guy's great at yard work. Like, what? I know. The handyman? I know. Like, whatever. So we meet Kelvin, who's Ed's brother, and he's yeah. here with us. Throughout. Yeah, because he was friends with Elnora. They had talked to him early on, but now that this Cubia person has put basically Ed in the murder scene right. at the time of the murder, they bring him downtown. And he agrees to go, but only because his mother goes with him. And this becomes monumentally important. So remember that detail. Right. So Bob Ruff is on the case, thank God. My Bobby! And he tried to talk to law, law enforcement. They said no, of course, or they never answered. Yeah. So Bob, this is so typical. Bob <laughs> files... Typical Bob. <laughs> But wait, because you'll be like, yes. I've filed some open records requests in Smith County and spoke with some ladies at the clerk's office. They told me just come on in. They'd have the box ready for me. Booked a flight to go down to Smith County, Texas. I end up spending three days in the clerk's office just completely immersing myself. He's got to go to the clerk's office they said, where he's best friends with Susan. And they said every, and Cheryl, they said everything aside from a little note for Bob. Well, but look at Bob. Bob is like 800 feet tall, 900 pounds of muscle. Right. Of course, he like walks into like the clerk's office full of women in Tyler, Texas. But he probably makes a phone call. He's like, hey, my name is Bob. He has that great voice. You know where else Bob would get the records pulled real fast for him? Where? Hell's Kitchen, New York City. Oh, God. San Francisco, you the West got, Village. We got to take him to Flaming Saddles when he comes here. Those are all gay neighborhoods, America. Yeah. I'm saying, like, Bob, if you ever need records requests pulled, you got to do, like, the lonely women of Tyler, Texas, yeah. or the horny gays of the West Village. That's true. <laughs> and you'll get your records right fast, girl. But you know he was so nice on the phone, like, hi, I'm trying to save a life. Or, 100%. like, hi, I'm trying to get to the bottom of some justice, please. 100%. So they write, you know, a little note, a little for Bob. He's also just so nice. And he says, like, he, like, gets on a plane to go pick up these records. He thinks he's going to be there for, like, an afternoon. He spends three fucking days there. Right. Right. Three days at reading. Becky was right. He's going to nail this. Right. Like reading and rereading and just approaching everything with fresh eyes. And they're yes. like, more coffee, Bob? And he's like, thanks, Cheryl. I'd love some. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the Hell's Kitchen version, another Cosmo, Bob? Yeah. Yes, I'd love one. <laughs> but like, he's really, he's like just doing the work, you know? Right. So July 23rd, 1993, the cops talked to Ed Eights because that woman, Kubia, called and said that he was involved. Yeah. We're jumping back in time to like just after the murder. Right. So Ed Eights, we hear this audio. It's not yes, great. No. But Ed says, Oh, it was about maybe a week ago. She got a she has a walk net behind the trailer house, and uh, she wanted me to come down and talk to her about it. Have you seen her since a week ago? I've seen her yesterday. Came up to the house around about five thirty-six, somewhere in between there. So I'll be down probably tomorrow evening. 
I actually was just at Elnora's house about a week ago. She needed help with the wasp's nest. <laughs> and then Ed says, yeah, I actually, I did see her the day of the murder. But he was not in the trailer at the time of the murder. He would have had no reason to be there. And he had absolutely no reason to kill her. She was his friend. Right. Because what he says is he was like, yeah, I was helping her with landscaping. And then yeah. I left and said like, you know what? I'll finish this tomorrow. So he wasn't there at night at all. But he is now suspect number one because this woman claimed that he was at the scene. This woman, Cubia, just like claimed that Elnora said Ed is here when they were talking on the phone. That makes Ed suspect number one. We need to do better than that. Right, because maybe it was like, Ed's here, he's just on his way out. Exactly. And he's going to come get the wasps tomorrow. We also get this thing about like the scraping that they take off the bottom of his shoes. Okay, so- we- <laughs> okay. So the cops look at the bottom of his shoes and they notice what they're saying is like poop stuck to the bottom. Because remember yeah. they said there were all these clumps of human feces in the house. Yes. Oh, but that it's, word. But it's oh. not like what's so weird about it is it's just like a very little. We see a picture of it. Yeah. Mixed with like a feather. Like it doesn't look like someone stepped in a pile of poop, which is supposedly all over Elnora's house. Exactly. Like, the rest of the shoe was very clean. It doesn't look like it's not. It's not that. <laughs> it looks like almost like just, you know, a clump of dirt or something but with a feather like, in it. The, the cop literally smells it, declares it poop, takes a sample of it, and then we never hear about this again. It's kept as evidence. Great yeah. job. They ask Ed if he's got an alibi for that night, and he tells, Ed tells the cops he was with his ex-girlfriend Monica that night, and his story is... Well, she was my girlfriend. We broke up, and I just went and paid her a visit last night. What kind of thought you got? What rules you got? She was in her car. She has. She came to your house to pick you up. Uh, she has a cutlass. Cut the tear. Okay, so she came to pick it. She came to pick him up and he like went and spent time at her house. Right. They went to sleep at like 1 or one fifteen in the morning. So then the cops call Monica, the girlfriend, and she's like, he did come over, but I didn't pick him up. He drove himself. Like the cops call her while he's still in the interrogation room. Yeah. So the cops come back in and like he's now lied to he's them. He's lied to them. And this is a real bad look because now, of course, he's already their prime suspect. They're not like looking for reasons to include him. They're looking for reasons to say like, yeah, it's what we thought. Right, it's of course, it's great. It's great for them. So, but now they're like, he's lied. What else is he lying about? They wonder. Right. Because here's what they have against Ed now. He's an ex-con. Yes. He got in trouble when he was in college. Kubia Jackson claims to have seen him there or heard that he was there. He lived very close to Elnora, our victim, and he just lied about his alibi. And maybe he's got poop on the bottom of his shoe and we knew there was poop in the house. That picture is such a nothing burger. Yeah, but also that evidence is all nothing burgers. That's all yeah, circumstantial it evidence. makes no sense. You know what I mean? So now we talk about Elnora's car. So yes. usually Elnora parked it like right in front of her house. Right. But right now, after she's been murdered, the car is parked near the back of the house. And the cops are saying that the killer moved her car to make it seem like Elnora wasn't home. And I'm like, that's a reach because why wouldn't you just move the car off of her property? <laughs> right. They move the car like to the back of the house, not like down the road or like into the... Or like in a ditch or right. burned it somewhere. The airport It's like, lot. oh, they'll never see it here. Exactly. Two feet away from where it's normally parked. Maybe we... she just parked somewhere else. Can I tell you, we drove to the airport last week and we like parked in the parking lot and I was like, how many of these cars are murder victim cars? Oh my God. Because it's a, like, no, who's checking? You they know what I mean? They do that in The Sopranos. I know. <laughs> There's an episode called like long-term parking. Yeah, that's what about happens. About exactly that. Anyway, also the seat. Yeah, so Elnora, remember, she was like four foot four. She's yeah. a tiny, tiny person. Yeah. So you would think she would have the seat pushed all the way up so she could like reach the gas pedal. Sure. I'm imagining like a phone book on the seat. Uh-huh. They go and they look at the car and actually the seat is all the way pushed back 
And El Nora, of course, was very short. And so who would push a car seat all the way back? A very tall man. The seat is pushed all the way back as though a very tall person was the last one to drive it. We're going to get back to that. Can I also say no tall person murderer is that stupid that they're going to like leave the tiny lady's car. Hopefully they would be though. Hopefully they would be. But like, come on. Yeah, no. Cops, we need better evidence than this. The fact that some lady said that El Nora said he was there when they were on the phone. He's a tall, he's a big black guy. That can't be. I mean, we got to say it, right? In Tyler, Texas. Jesus Christ. We learned about the assistant DA, David Dobbs. They talked about how he has a reputation of being brilliant, Whatever. which is hilarious because he spends this entire episode being a fucking moron. Right. Yeah. He's there. like, That's yeah, it. He, really, about him. he really knows how to gather evidence. All right. Does right. he? I don't see any that, fucking evidence. Doesn't anybody here. who goes to law school, is that, don't they teach you that on day one? Here's how you fucking put shit in bags. Yet I don't see any evidence here worth a damn. And no offense, attorneys. I know your job is hard. This guy's yeah, just be a dick. careful. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. We're <laughs> specifically talking about David Dobbs. Yes. That's what we do here. We right. talk about specifically the people right in front of us. Mostly they're monsters. So a month after Elnora is murdered, Ed Ates is charged with the murder and arrested. And He's out on bond and he's awaiting trial. So now we meet Kim. We Kim meet, so first of all, we go to Kim Ates' house. Kim is Ed's wife. Yes. Their fucking house is gorgeous. Yeah. I don't know where it is, but it's just like, it's a dream house. Yeah. And Kim really is nice. just like sitting on the couch for her interview. She is bubbly and smiley. And I just was like, get this woman into my life. She's so happy to be talking about Bob, Ed. how do I get to be friends with Kim? She oh. seems like the fucking coolest person. Dear Bob. I know. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're doing this as a panel for Obsessed Fest. This whole case, oh Bob's God. assembling the whole thing. I want Kim there or I walk. Yeah. Kim there or I walk. Make sure, hey, can we make a note to Natalie? Don't, I don't want to be doing any panels during that panel. <laughs> right. I want to be available oh, and free. Yeah. So Kim tells us how she met Ed. She was in college. She was at a Halloween party. She was playing cards. This man walks in who was uh, very tall uh, in statue, very well put together. Like, oh, he looks like Michael Jordan. So we talked for a bit uh, and we exchanged numbers. And the next day he called me seven times. Can I just tell you, they meet one night, they exchange information. The next time he calls her seven times, I said, these sound like my kind of people. Well, but That's he... exactly what I would do. Hi, hello. Yeah, hello. hey, it's me. Hello, hi. Hey, hey, it's me. Hey, cute guy. I have nothing to say. Hey, cute I'm tall guy. Hi. It's hi. me. So, but Ed walks in and Kim goes, he looks like Michael Jordan. Did Michael Jordan just walk into this party? He's tall. He's very, very striking. And she's like, he's gorgeous. He is. And like, he looks like Michael Jordan. Yeah. That, which is why she said it. Right. <laughs> Listen, whatever Kim says goes. And he isn't like, he's a basketball player. Like she was just very like, all right. Totally. And how do you like, you can't miss him. He walks in like, right. he, you kind of just like, oh, who is that? But this is when he's out on bond for that murder that he probably didn't commit. So one night they're at Kim's apartment and he's like, hey, can we have a talk? Oh, so, so can I tell you? about this my like thing. impending murder trial totally. oh. I, I know I know and you know she just can't believe it like she's in shock but she loves him she believes he didn't do it and Ed's lawyers are like wait they're so confident that they're gonna win the case because there's no evidence against Ed anyway and these are two court appointed attorneys that he has who again seem very confident very on it yeah like court appointed attorneys can be fucking amazing of course yeah so Kim and Ed continue their lives like the trial is just like a small detour on the way to happy, happily ever after. Because they are in that bubble of like they're in love, they have a kid, and they think, and he didn't do it. And, and, but they think that that's enough. They think the fact that he didn't do it means that like love will conquer all and the truth will set you free. You right. I mean? It's like the people who talk shit about Damien. Like, yeah. oh, he smiled and waved in the back of the cop car. He uh-huh. was saying that, he was waving to his mom and his sister being like, I'll be home for dinner. I didn't do it. Like, right. you're just trying to comfort, you know what I'm saying? God, the Damien, like I can see that image because I watch right? those documentaries when a million times. behind him, it's the, like, the Damien from back then versus the Damien that I met at Obsessed Fest are like not the same person. Oh, they're not even like who's that? I, who is that? It's wild. 
So no one's expecting Ed to get convicted, right? Right. Now it's October 1995. Baby Kira is born. Yes. And by July 1996, the trial begins. Now Kim is paying close attention to who's on the jury. There were two African-Americans on the jury. Um, And if this is a black man, he needs to be tried by his peers. If he's meant to be tried by a jury of his peers, according to Kim, she wants them all to be black. And girl, I hear you. Absolutely. You know, but the two men, like, we don't get a lot about this trial. We just learn that when it's over, after two days of deliberation, it's a hopelessly, quote, hopelessly hung jury, deadlocked eight to four for guilt. And the two African-American men voted for not guilty. So the judge declares a mistrial. Right. And now Kim and Ed think it's all over. Yeah. Right? They get married. They're really, they're like officially starting this life together. Yeah. And a year later, it all falls apart because by 1998, Ed is tried again. Right. And this time, not only is it an all-white jury, like when Kim realizes it's an all-white jury, that's when she panics. And she says that's when she could hear the fear in Ed's voice too. They tell us that in the first trial, the state didn't have a lot of good evidence. It's all circumstantial. There's no fingerprint evidence. There's no eyewitness evidence. There's QBS saying she said that Eldora was on the phone. Like, right. But there's no good evidence. But for the second trial, they have this magical new witness as always fucking happens. Right. And it's Ken Snow, the guy who called Bob Ruff and said, I lied to put an innocent man in prison. He's the reason we're here. Bob learns of Ed's case through Kenny. Kenny's trying to get Bob to care about Kenny's case. I hope that Bob gets back to him someday. I got news for you. Bob got him out. Oh, God. <laughs> Kenny Snow is home. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Can you stand it, the work that Bob does? It's unbelievable. I know. Bob's the best, and he's hot. (laughs) Doesn't matter, but Becky. It doesn't matter, but it's not like a it's not a bad thing. Becky's like, yeah, I know. I know exactly. So now, like in in the second trial, that's when Kenny testified. Kenny is the secret weapon in the second trial. He's the guy that gets Ed put away. He's also the guy that years later contacts Bob and gets Bob on. Ed's case. And it's like a two-for-one justice, wrongfully conviction release situation. But right now, in the moment of the second trial, Kenny takes a stand, and he's basically a jailhouse informant. And I do not understand this fucking, quote, brilliant DA who's great at gathering evidence gets a fucking How are jailhouse informants allowed? Like, death penalty for these fucking DAs who get these jailhouse informants to lie. So Kenny testified that Ed had asked him to lie and say that another inmate had said that he had killed Elnora Griffin. So it looked pretty bad for Ed. This DA promises Kenny a lighter sentence on the on the charges he's facing yeah. if he makes up a fucking story to get Ed put away. Yeah, I'd love to know the stats of how much information is re- has really ever been gathered from a jailhouse informant. Like how much real information. How much real information yeah. that actually helps a case instead of just nonsense just, for their when, own selfish. When we know this happens in the end, that Ken was lying in return for a reduced sentence. Right. How is that guy not disbarred? I don't I know, get I it. don't understand. Yeah, for uh, just a blatant lie. Right. Like Kenny was nowhere near. Like what? Yeah, so because of Ken's testimony, Ed is found guilty. Right. So now we're back with Bob Ruff in 2016. And again, this is a listener-driven podcast. Yeah. And it still is to this day. And there are even people, Bob is so, he interacts so much with people. Like, I'm in his Facebook group. Yeah. And there he has to yell at people, not yell at people, but sort of reprimand people being like, I'm not doing this for your entertainment. I'm sorry you think the season is slow. This right. is a real-time investigation. <laughs> like, sorry, not yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 there yeah. are people who are like, Bob, it would be much better. And Where are the be- cliffhangers, Bobby? And he's like, I don't, I'm, what? Then right. you do it. Make your own thing. <laughs> exactly. But so, 
the listeners are saying, Bob, it would be super helpful if we could have a layout of the crime scene because they're having trouble visualizing. Yes. And Bob makes one. He like makes it. a diagram of the double wide trailer. He does it all the time. It's unbelievable. And he uploads it all to the website so the listeners can like look through it with him. So he breaks down the crime scene for us. Yeah. And he says the attack starts in the bedroom and Elnora is strangled. Elnora, five foot four, gets away from her attacker, who is allegedly six foot seven. If it's Ed, if it's which Ed, it isn't, yeah. And runs into the living room where her body is found. Yeah, and this is where Bob just says, You'll never be able to explain to me how a hundred pound woman broke loose of six foot seven muscle bound Ed's grip. It's just not possible. And also, there's blood in the kitchen. How? Elnora never made it to the kitchen. And also, this is where we get more of, like, Bob's expertise from being a tracker hunter. He's like, I know from tracking deer for all these years, the blood can tell you what direction your target's But you know what? That makes perfect sense. You know what I mean? He's saying it looks like the droplets that they found in the kitchen came from a person who was standing stationary. Right. Also, we'll never know whose blood that is because they never collected it and tested it. Right. Can you imagine blood in a crime scene not being collected and tested? No, I can't. And um, it's too late for that. In 1996 or whatever this was. No excuse. Like, no excuse. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) So Bob shed some light on more things for us. Remember the poop on the shoe? Yeah. Oh, we're doing this. Which I don't even think it was poop. No, we learned later it wasn't poop. Right. So like the cop didn't actually get this little dirt clump tested. He did the cop's words, the sniff test. Yeah. He just (laughs) took a, I'm not like, he took a whiff of Ed's shoe and said, that's poop. And there's poop in the apartment. So that it's gotta be you. And everyone's like, excellent police work. But Bob is saying, Bob is showing us the diagram of the trailer. He's like, wait a second. That means that Ed would have had to have stepped in the feces in the bedroom, which is where the feces was. Right. Walked all the way through the house into the kitchen, not leaving any track of poop anywhere else in the house. Right. But then getting to the kitchen and leaving like a footprint of poop there. There's one footprint? Like, give me, no. They find like a speck of poop on the floor, but then they don't even know if that's poop or not. Like, this is the shittiest fucking investigative work ever. Is it? (laughs) Great job. I was I almost wanted you to realize it on your own, but I was like, what did I do? I saw the look on your face. Nailed it. The shittiest police work it, ever. Like literally, though. Yeah. It actually is. Because there's no footprints anywhere else and then the stupid sniff test. Also, the car, remember the, the seat in the car was yes. pushed all the way back. This is like great this is all information that Bob is getting from his listeners. Right. Laura Lester from Canada wrote me to tell me that she's just over five foot tall and that she does not find it odd at all that Elnora's seat was pushed all the way back. She said that she's so short that she does pull her seat all the way forward when she drives, but she always pushes the seat all the way back when she gets in and out of the car. She said it's very awkward to get in and out of that cramped space with the seat pushed all the way up. So I have to scoot the seat all the way back to get out. Like, that's what little short people do. Right, which is great. But on top of that, there's no proof that the seat was pushed all the way back. There's, there's no not pictures a single photo. And yep. Bob goes, which is bananas, to which I say, thanks for the shout out, Bob. <laughs> Thanks for the shout out. It is bananas. This shit is bananas. That was for us. Yeah. I know it was. Bob knew that we were going to cover it. So he threw us a couple crumbs. He couldn't get the lower third for the dogs, but he did text me back immediately. Look, he's doing what he can. So yeah, like that's what I mean. Like listener driven. There are listeners saying like, no, like this is my experience. Like obviously you can't get out of the car. It's so interesting. Those, those kinds of details that only make sense to the people who experience them. Of course. You know what I mean? Like you pull the seat all the way up, but then you're trapped in your car. Like you literally can't get out. Right. And it also like, she's not going to say like, oh, this, this will be a natural fit for someone else. She just pushes right. it all. It makes total sense. <laughs> totally. It makes complete sense. Yeah. There's also no forensic evidence linking Ed Eights to the crime scene. No prints, no hair, no blood, no DNA, nothing. That's the craziest part. Like, every piece of evidence is circumstantial. Nobody saw him there. Right. And what the hell 
was his motive supposed to be? Right. Why would he do this? He knew this person. He was like, what are you talking this about? This is also where we get Bob's theory that like there was actually three intruders. I wasn't following this completely. I'm sure the podcast is more in depth, but there's a phone that's like ripped clean off the wall. Yes. That would not have been done by the murderer. That would have had to have been done by somebody else. And then there's evidence of like a third person there. So it's like, I mean, the thing that's so infuriating about these cases is that when you focus on somebody like Ed, who probably didn't do it, there are three people who maybe did this murder who are out there on the fucking loose and no one's looking for them. And then that's how Elnora gets lost in all this. Exactly. Because now we have to focus on getting the innocent guy out of prison instead of finding who really did this to her. And now it just makes it so much bigger than it needs to be. And this is where we get the heartbreaking, like, this is what happens when wrongfully accused people go to prison. We're back with Kim, and she's saying that... Uh, Edward was feeling hopeless um, and the visits you know you know became less and less and the drive to go see him was just it got harder and harder and harder harder to see him it just became too hard to be sustainable she's like I'm a single mom I loved my husband yeah. but I'm raising these kids by myself that fucking drive to the prison is brutal and then we see Ed and he's like I stopped seeing my kids and like I the visits are brutal too nobody like wants their kids to grow know? up in a fucking prison and like one day eventually they just have the hard conversation about Kim sort of like moving on and, and living her life and can you imagine what goes into that no. like you're Ed and you're in prison wrongfully and you're like I'm just gonna die here no one's fighting for me nobody's working like this is what happened to me I think about that with like Adnan yes. or Damien all yeah. the time the number of days they must have all sat in their cells being like this is my this is why it. what what did I do like right. wh- why is this my existence I know you know sorry I went on a rant no but it's true I mean this is why these stories are so important yeah except name the series something other than web of death please god I, I second that <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I love no, this. I, I love that we're highlighting these stories. We're going to eventually do all of these episodes. We're just going to sprinkle them in. But web, you have to make it something different. But I will also say, people always ask me at q and It's like, what's something great that you covered recently? This. This episode was wonderful. Yeah. It was really, it was really good. So it's early 2016. Bob has compiled all the evidence, right? He's looked through it. He really thinks that Ed might be innocent. He writes a letter to Ed, says he just wants to talk to him about the case, never hears back. And a couple of weeks go by and Bob's like, I'm going to try again. Yeah. Bob doesn't seem like a person who gives up so easy. Right? <laughs> you know Thank- I, mean? I mean, we need him. I know. So Bob's like, look, I can understand. I just want to talk. Like, yeah. I-, I-, I think I can help. Just hear me out. And if you don't, fine. But like, please just like, just hear me out. I do think too, and I know nothing about this, but like, I think when you're Ed and you've been in for 15 years and right. you lost your family you can't do the false hope thing again no. how many times early on in his like time in prison did like the false hope thing happen and he's yeah. like I just can't but he's something to Ed on the second letter from Bob said let me write back to this guy and just see what he's all about and then Ed writes back and then I burst into tears yeah. because Ed walks on screen and me sits too. down to be interviewed it was that's what I'm saying this documentary is great it was a perfectly timed moment which I did not see coming he sits down it's like the, right at the halfway mark yeah. and he sits down and it's like you just oh my god I burst into yeah, tears yeah and he tells us like I was just in that place where I thought nothing was going to change and this is where he tells us I'm about two and a half years maybe three Kim didn't come I didn't see the kids my son was getting older and my daughter was getting older. My grandmother died and, you know, that was my heart. My mom died too. And, you know, I didn't get to say goodbye. It's kind of like that, coming to ghost. I mean, 
the idea of like, I mean, I if I could solder myself to Daisy so we were actually connected, yeah. I would. The idea of not being able to, of not seeing her for three years, it is so devastating. Yeah. And also like people, like his mom died, his grandmother died. Yeah, he like cost Ed, his grandmother his heart. I know. Ed was in a super fucking bad, like the worst place. He's already in the worst place and yeah. mentally he's now in the worst place. So back then in 2016, Ed and Bob arranged a time to talk. Now, remember, Bob's been going through this evidence forever now and he's been doing a podcast about it. He's finally got Ed on the phone. We fucking hear the phone call. He goes, it is wild. Hello, Mr. Ruff. It's like, <laughs> it's so sweet. Like, I can. So they're on the phone and, you know, and this was wild because yeah. Bob says to Ed, did you lie to the cops about going to Monica's that night? Because if you remember. He doesn't waste any time. No. He talks about that. Why'd you lie about your alibi? But he doesn't think he did. He's like, I didn't think he did lie. And Ed is like, no. If you remember, this was the moment where Ed said, I couldn't have been at the trailer because I was with my girlfriend, Monica. She came to get me. And the cops call Monica. Monica's like, he was here, but he drove himself. So that's when he lied to the cops. And that's when the cops really started to zero in on him. Right. And Bob is saying, like was that a lie or was it not and he's like it actually was a lie he, but he was at Monica's yes he just did Monica did not come get he did drive himself and remember in the beginning when I told you to remember he agreed to be interviewed by the cops because his mother was with him yes what happened was snuck my grandmother's car out of the driveway and drove up there and uh, you know I didn't ask to take the car my mom is sitting here beside me and now I'm gonna have a problem with my mom too I think I was more scared of my mom than I was them. So I just said, Monica came and got me. He snuck out yes. and took the car without permission. And so in front of the cops, he doesn't think anything's going to happen to him. He just tells what he thinks is a little white lie because he doesn't want his mother to know that he stole the fucking car for the night because he literally says he's more afraid of his mother than he is of the cops. Because their, his mother was not to be fucked with. Right. Ed and his brother were scared of their mom. Ed's brother says as much because their father was incredibly abusive. And one day his mother had had it. She shot his big fucking toe off. His big toe, she shoots it off. Good. Good for so her. I say good. But she doesn't take any shit from anyone. So imagine. <laughs> she shot his big fucking toe off. Big toe off. Somehow I missed that in my notes. Oh, I don't know how. <laughs> but that's why Ed's like, do you understand why I didn't? I like, Yes. He would get in a lot of trouble for sneaking out and steal and like using the car without but permission. But this is the lie that made the cops look at him. It's one of the reasons why he is where he is. And Bob is saying like, if he could take anything back in his yeah. life, it would be that one stupid because lie. Because it seemed so insignificant. Yes. Because where he was was right. Yes. The alibi was right. It exactly. was just how he got there was that, that was the lie right and because his mom was there he didn't think oh now I have to tell Monica a lot like it's it, no it, of course him, it didn't matter and then Bob asks him about that Cubia Jackson woman yeah like, why would she say that you were there and he's like I have I know Cubia I don't know why she would say he's that like, we were all really friendly like I don't know where this is coming from and I'm like all right well was it another Ed she didn't say Ed eights right and if it was Ed eights maybe he left and didn't kill her and said right. I'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning for also, the landscaping is there another fucking Ed in Tyler Texas who like, we could be looking at maybe. Right. But, you know, Ed is telling us that he's really starting to understand the power of podcasting. I All through my notes, I'm like, let the podcast do the work. It's let amazing. Do the work. I love this medium so much. And yeah. when, when you really see the power of what, like, it's why, Bob, oh, now I'm going to cry. It's why Bob is like such a, it's why Bob is such a hero. It's true. You know he what is. I mean? It's like people like Bob and Robbie and Susan, Tireless. the people who, who do the good work and actually like, like save lives, you know? know, this medium is so powerful and what it can do. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm getting really worked up about it. But, you know, Ed is saying not only was, like, this podcast really helping, Bob is, like, fucking on it. He's got a Natalie. Like clockwork, every Monday morning, I would have a stack of transcripts to his show. 
it seemed like every show they were talking about me. Every show. And I was like, man, this dude is for real. He would read the podcast every because week. Because he was able, that way he was able to stay in the loop. I, we learned from, I think, either Adam himself or Rabia that, like, they're not, inmates aren't allowed to listen to podcasts. Yes. They can only read the transcripts. Right. But so Ed was, like, really in the loop on what was happening. And that is such a credit to Bob. Because it's, it's like, of course. He, like, they didn't have to do that, but it was, like, so so good of them, too. And it meant so much to Ed because he's like, oh, my God, Bob Ruff is for real. Yeah. That's what he says. And he goes, and his listeners give a shit. And, the, yes. and like, everyone is really working together. And just imagine. Imagine what Ed was feeling like. He hadn't seen his wife or his family in three years. He was like people he loved were dying. He was so alone. And to know that like Bob Ruff and this army and this community was working for him, like that I I can't even imagine it. Can I say one thing? It's not a plug. Don't come to Obsess Fest if you don't want to. Yeah. This is why we do it. Yeah. We do Obsess Fest to bring people together to highlight the good work, to have good times and drag brunch. Yes, all of that is important too. Yeah. But to like as a creator, to know that there's a weekend coming up where I get to go see people like Bob and Rabia who are like doing the shit and I yeah. get to be in their presence as well as in the presence of all of the listeners who who enable us to have this life and do this thing and yeah. highlight Bob's work. Like, this is what Obsessed Fest is all about. Yeah. That's all. It's not a plug for Obsessed Fest. It's just, it's what I'm proud that we've been able to do with it. Yeah. You know? It's true. Anyway, I gotta calm down, Joanne. I've God gotta calm it. down. Do we have to go to Flaming Saddles in between <laughs> recording episodes today? I know, what is I know. No, I, I hear you. I love it. Yeah. So, now, at this point in 2016, the podcast is happening. Bob and Ed are in touch. He's reading the transcripts. In 2016, Ed is not sure if he's married or not. Because right? he hasn't spoken to Kim in years. And he gave, he and Kim had the conversation where he was like, go live your life, do right. your thing. And we learned... 2012, I filed for divorce in December. Well, I never got anything to say that I needed to be in court. So at that point, I didn't pursue it anymore. I told him, yes, we are still married. Kim thought it was a done deal. She's like, <laughs> I thought I did what I had to do. Kim is kind of like me in this regard, where she's like, I don't know, I think I filled out the paperwork. Right, but she also like loved him. Like, did yeah. she forget? Or I, was it a subconscious, I, like, maybe, you know, I don't know. But she apparently missed this court appearance. So like, the divorce didn't take, and they're still married. And this is what Bob says. is one But of the they things, don't communicate that to anybody? They don't tell anyone. She probably didn't even know. Bob is saying that like, one of the things they're so proud of this case was being able to bring Kim and Ed back together. Right. Bob is the one who's able to say like, girl, you're still married like right. this isn't over yet because, and there's yeah. hope now right because Ed's like okay I'm gonna let her live her life and then Kim is I guess trying to like protect herself emotionally and not like yeah. they're just staying out of touch on purpose and Bob's like no 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 yeah come here yeah come together exactly so it's becoming more and more clear that Ed Eights didn't do this yeah and Bob just keeps saying he's like I had 500 pages worth of files yeah and I just kept digging and he's like it didn't take me long to find the document where Kenny Snow the guy who's the reason we're here admits to lying on the stand in that second trial. So Bob finds that the major surprise evidence that's the why the jury convicted him and put him away was a fucking lie. Right. Bob's got the paper in his hand. Right. He admits my lawyers put me up to it and everything I said about Ed Eights is a lie. Yeah. So now we get, again, 15 minutes of how impossible it is to get someone out of prison. Yes. Especially in Texas. Especially in Texas. And, but they're thinking, the lawyers and the Innocence Project people, and they're thinking, all right, if we can undermine Kenny's statement, yes. then maybe that's the key. If he was that key witness or key, like, bombshell, yeah. and now, he, in his words, he's saying that didn't happen, maybe that can overturn the conviction. Plus, there's no evidence. Like, maybe there's stuff we can work with And here. they get Kenny to write an affidavit and they get a fucking new trial. But at trial, this this whole thing falls apart. He ultimately did not testify at the hearing. He he got cold feet. 
His trial attorney ended up completely changing his statements from his affidavit. And the trial court says, you can't believe Kenny Snow because Kenny Snow's a liar. And the trial attorney has changed his story, so you can't believe the trial attorney either. So we're not going to overturn Ed's conviction. And so the judge at this like new trial for Ed is like, well, we can't trust Kenny and we can't trust his attorney, so I'm not giving him right. any relief. Right. Exactly. So Bob reminds us, and this is such a great quote, the American criminal justice system is designed to keep people in prison. And that is absolutely right. Yeah. It's so easy to put someone in prison wrongfully or otherwise, and it is nearly impossible to get them out. But this is when Bob says, like, Bob is fed up. Bob's crying again. Uh-huh. We're all crying when Bob but cries. they're like rage tears, my favorite kind. <laughs> I know. But this is when Bob's like, he needs an organization behind him. Not right. like a person, not a podcast. He needs the fucking Innocence Project. And get this, fam. Yeah. One of, he says that on his podcast and one of his listeners reaches out to him and says, hey, the head of the Innocence Project of Texas is a friend of mine. Yeah, close personal friend. Close personal friend. I talked to him about this case. He's willing to take a call with you. His name is Mike Ware. He gets Ed Eight's a meeting with this guy who's like the head of the Innocence Project. Yeah. Which is incredible. And we're here with Allison Clayton. Yeah, she is incredible. I've got to let the women do the work, let the podcasters do the work. We got to do the work. She is Ed's new lawyer. Yes. And she tells us about this law down in Texas. Yes. If you have the audacity to challenge your conviction, you're only going to do it once. It's an automatic appeal and it's almost automatically always turned down and it was in Ed's case. So he had already had his one bite at the apple but we think we can overcome those procedural issues. He's already lost his one appeal but she's like we think that we can overcome that. I just want to say when she learned that like they were getting this referral from a podcast she was not happy. Yeah she was like alright. <laughs> but again but when Bobby she like when Bobby shows up with the 500 pages and the documents this is where And the listeners. And the listeners she says like this is when you can see there's a lot of people who give a shit there's a lot of people who care but then there are those with the follow through and those are the few. Right. And Bob is one of those fucking people when he gets his hooks into something yeah. he wasn't gonna rest until he was if he had to go it's like what I used to say to Rabia I will get the armored truck with the chains you figure out how to wrap it around the bars and add we'll, window we'll we're gonna rip the fucking side off right. that building a thousand percent that, that's what Bob would have done right but the thing about Bob too is like it's all about relationships you know because he's so it's so genuine and when he like that's why he makes friends with the women down at the clerk's office yeah. and people want to help him because it's so he's so like pure of heart yes. like, with with what his intentions are and you can't fake that so he goes back to his friends at the county clerk's office and they hand everything over. It's 27 volumes yeah. plus all the documents. And then he like organizes it and shows it to Allison. And he that's where he scans the whole thing. And that's where she's like, oh, a scanner shit. given to him by a listener, by the way. Like, yeah, I know. Is, and I know. So when Allison's like, this is not someone being like, I think my cousin's boyfriend's dog walker's lawyer is yeah. a whatever. Yeah. This is Bob doing so much work and learning and organizing and people giving a shit. And then Allison from the Innocence Project is like, we need to. DNA testing. We went back to the Truth and Justice Army and we said, you know, we're, we are a nonprofit. We have limited funding um, and we need your help. DNA testing can be a very, very expensive process. So we're talking several thousand dollars. And of course, as the Truth and Justice people always do, they, they showed up and they helped pay for the DNA testing in this case. They raised the fucking money for the DNA testing. And this is when we learn that 
Ed is nowhere in that crime scene. None. In the feces, in the blood, there's nowhere. no hair. He's nowhere on her body. Right. Ed was not there. And, and we wouldn't have that DNA tested evidence without the listeners to Bob's podcast. Yeah, yeah. Allison says Bob put out a call to the Truth and Justice Army and they came through. And Allison goes, as they always do. As they always do. And it is do. so true because we talked about that with like even uh, testing the evidence in Damien's case. Like, We'll pay for. It. We yes. will, like. Don't worry. Like you can't. You can't say that Arkansas. It's too expensive because right. we'll take care of that. And, Just do it. Yep. And also, they tell us Elnora was excluded from whatever was on the bottom of the shoe. Remember, the cop did the smell that test and thought it was poop. Yeah. It, whatever it was did not come from Elnora's body. Right. And they believe the feces did. Right. So they send. They, the listeners now, are sending hundreds of letters to the parole board. They're trying to get attention on this case, convincing them that Ed is innocent, telling them they won't stop fighting and showing support. Yeah. People from all over the world. And Bob says, like, we were hopeful, but we weren't that hopeful. And then Allison calls. Oh, my God, I'm going to fucking cry again, Bob. Bob. And she says, like, he's out. He's coming home. He's coming home. And Bob, you did that, girl. Yeah. You did that. So on September 5th, 2018, Ed is released. We have all of the, f- the iPhone photos. Ed is hugging everyone. I'm crying. Ed's crying. We're all crying. Allison says there's a picture that she has on her wall of Ed oh. hugging his wife and now adult children. And she goes, It's beautiful. That's the kind of high that you chase forever. That's the high you chase forever. forever. When you're in her line of work and you're in the Innocence Project and you get a guy out of prison, yeah. that's the high, that's the moment, that's the reason you get out of bed and go back to work the next to day. To do it again. Yeah. And again yeah. and again. Calling that a high, like how fucking positive is I know. that? What they don't really get into is like, so was it because of the letters or was it because of the DNA? <laughs> like, what did the parole board say? I, know. I mean, at this point, I'm kind of like, just get him in the car and get the fuck out of here. Like, you know, <laughs> fine. But he like, Ed 8 says, like, if it wasn't, if not for Bob Ruff, I would still be sitting in prison. Yeah. And it's so true. And then we're at like, we're at the end and it's Bruce, Bob's dad. Like, they're cr- they're trying to play cards and they're just hysterical crying they're about sobbing. how great Bob is. I just want to point out that like, he's out, but he's not exonerated. No. And Allison and Bob, they like, they don't want to give up until there's like an actual exoneration. Right. And we learn this is the thing that made me insane. Remember how we were talking about how the phone was ripped off clean yeah. off the wall? And that's why Bob thinks there was multiple people there. There is a clean set of fingerprints on that phone. Like a clean yep. set that has not been tested. Test the fucking evidence. Just test it. That's why Bob made shirts that say test the fucking evidence. Test it. Why wouldn't you want to test that? I don't know, but nobody wants to test any evidence. They're I doing it again in Arkansas. They do it here. I don't know why you don't want to do it. And it's because whatever corruption or people don't want to admit that they're wrong, but it ends with a clip of Bob on his podcast. Yeah. Is he crying? Sure. Okay. I mean, he's emotional, <laughs> but what he's trying to say is that like, this case isn't over until we find out who actually killed Elnora Griffin. And that's, you know, the podcast is truth and justice. We're still looking for justice for Elnora Griffin. Wrongfully convicting someone does so much damage to everyone, but almost most importantly, the person who was murdered. Because now everyone's, the energy is to undo a second injustice now, right? To get the person out of prison. But like, Elnora's murderer is out now. And like, she can't be forgotten. Heyman Lee can't be forgotten. These people can't be forgotten. And that's what Bob ends his podcast saying. Like, we have to make sure that the victims don't get lost in this. So stop fucking wrongfully convicting people. Let the podcasters do the work. God. (laughs) 
Oh, girl, we did it. What's it called? It's called Web of Death, but this episode is called uh, Crowdsource Justice. It's episode three. Bob, we love you so we much. You, Go Bob. listen to Bobby's podcast, Truth and Justice. And all these seasons, like he's doing it. It's all real time investigation. Yeah. It's not entertainment. It's like they go on forever. They're really long seasons, but like it's good. Look, look at what he's doing. It's such good work. Come see us at Obsessed Fest. I'm going to make sure this happens. Bob and I were texting about this today. We're going to do a panel on this case. I'm going to play this episode again the week before Obsessed Fest so oh, everyone fun. gets excited about it. <laughs> Come. It's October 20th and the 22nd in Dallas, Texas. This is what I'm saying. This is what it's about. It is not a money-making venture. We do not make money on Obsessed Fest. It is all about bringing the community of listeners together, the community of creators together, getting us all in one place for a weekend to just be with each other and the shared experience. I'm going to get really emotional again, so we just have to move on. Tell them about the Patreon. Okay, can I just say again, like, Bob, look what you did. I know. what you're still doing. I'm just, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. It's like an honor to be friends with him. I remember when I was just a fan and now he's like my buddy. We're like texting about his dogs in the morning. I I can't handle it. The Patreon, we're doing a bunch of stuff. We just did House of Hammer. We did Captive Audience. We're doing Killer Sally and Pepsi Where's My Jet is next. Yep, we got a bunch of video content on there as well. Our live show from Obsessed Fest. We've got our live show in Boston where we did Class Action Park. The Rabia and Rebecca Lavoie panel from Obsessed Fest Season 1 professionally shot and edited. Get all the info on at like It's just great content to go and watch. It's amazing. What are we doing next, girl? This is a Patrick pick. We're doing the Dateline episode Killings in a College Town about... I never get involved in this, but I gotta say I'm obsessed with the Dateline podcast now. Yeah. It's about the Idaho State murders of those. The four students. The four students who were killed and we don't have a lot of answers and there's like a lot of unanswered questions, but it's a Keith Morrison situation. it is. And it's a really sad case and there's there's just a lot of unanswered questions. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. Okay, great. I can't wait. Yeah. So stay tuned for the trailer for that and our funny and silly and hilarious outtakes. And this is just like a love letter to Bob Ross. It's a love letter to Bob Ross. And to like listeners and what like the power of what can be done. Yes. Everyone, your homework for tonight is to get someone out of prison. I'm just saying, like, I love that we get to do this for a living because I love you and I love that we get to do this, but I'm yeah. so proud to work in this medium Yes, that really does sometimes do some great work. It's true. That's it. I love you. I love you. All right, bye. All right, drinks? Yeah, yeah. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. Keely and Maddie were doing everything right that night. They had no idea what was about to happen. It's America's most heartbreaking mystery. Four students in the middle of the night stabbed to death. My heart sank. How did this happen? Now, exclusive new information revealing new details about the investigation. The suspect. I feel like eyewitness a side of Brian that other people might not have. This is someone who wants to show us that he has power. What was it like to sit in that room, watch him? He looks scared, as he should be. We're ready. We're ready for this case. We get to spend a lot of time with our Bobby, our, our, boop, take two. What? Oh my God. Sorry. What? I missed. Sorry. Look, what happened? <laughs> no, nothing. Are you okay? Yes. I misread. Yeah. Okay, great. What? I thought I jumped like 10 pages. Oh. And then I couldn't find where I am. And I, now I'm just look, staring at the phrase clumps of feces. So I- that's, that's what's happening. Yeah. Okay. This shit is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This shit is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. But you know what, though? Like, if we could get Bob, like, a t-shirt for Obsessed Fest, it would just say Mr. Ruff. Like, R-O-U-G-H. But it's spelled R-U-F-F. I know, but... Wouldn't that be fun? Okay. We'll okay, go to sorry. Flaming Saddles sorry. after this. Sorry, Bobby. You can get all that energy okay. out <laughs> when the cowboys are dancing on the bar because that's the kind of bar Flaming Saddles is. 